Love is a many splendid thing. What the world needs now is love. All you need is love. Make love, not war. Love makes the world go round. Love lifts us up where we belong. We pay a fair bit of attention to love, don't we? Falling in love, falling out of love, making love, having problems with love, searching for love. Hey, these are the sort of things that uh, fill the books we read and the movies we watch and the songs we listen to. And that's just the romantic side of love. When you actually think about love in all its different shades, you know, the love between parents and children, the love between good friends, the love within families, love, it just seems to be one of the most fundamental, it just seems to be one of the most profound parts of who we are. Why? Why is, what's the big deal with love? Winslow and Dorothy Jackson are a married couple who both have multiple sclerosis. They say they probably wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for having each other. Tracy Raid has throat cancer. She says it's only been the love of her friends that has gotten her through the treatments. A survey of highly successful people has indicated that 62% of them accredit their their achievements to the love of their families. Why is love so powerful? Why do we feel alive most when we're loved? Why is it that when we're with loved ones, it just feels like we're home? Irrespective of where we may physically be. Why is that? What's the big deal with love? Well, I think today's Bible passage tells us. Today's passage comes from the New Testament book of 1 John. We've been reading that together over the last few weeks here at DPC. We've discovered that it's a letter written by the Apostle John. That's the same John who spent three years of his life living alongside and following Jesus. And John is writing to a church and he wants to tell them some pretty neat things about love. In particular, in today's passage... John wants to tell them why love is so important, but he also wants to tell them about the most important expression of love that we could possibly ever receive. Let me show you how he does that. I want to just reread the passage and briefly pause at four key phrases. The first two phrases will explain the importance of love. The second two phrases explain the most important display of love that we get to experience. If you've got your bulletins, you might like to open them and have them on your lap. That might help you because the passage is printed there and also there's a bit of an outline helping you see where we're going to go. Firstly, though, it's this idea of the importance of love. And for this, I'd like to look at verse 7, the very first sentence of the passage, and it's the sentence with a little number 7 in front of it, if you are following on in the bulletin. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Okay, the passage starts by telling us to love one another. And by that, it doesn't mean it's not about love in a romantic sense, okay? It's not telling us to be in love with each other. It's the more general love that's in mind here. It's talking about how we should be treating the other people in this room. 
It's talking about how you should be treating your friends and the others at school or at workplace. It's talking about caring for others and doing what's best for others. It's talking about treating others the way you like to be treated. And John says it's good to do that. Okay, That gut instinct that we've got about love being important, it's a good one. Go with it. Let us love one another. But here's what I'd like you to notice. Why does he tell them to love one another? The last bit of the verse tells us, and this is the first phrase I'd like us to notice. Dear friends, let's love one another for, here's the phrase, love comes from God. Love comes from God. The more you think about that, I reckon the bigger the implications become. Love comes from God. In other words, any sort of love you might be enjoying at this very moment in your life, whether it's within a marriage, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's within a family, any love at all that you are a part of, whether you realise it or not, whether you care to acknowledge it or not, it's only there because of God. Whatever love it is, it comes from him. You know how in the mining industry they sometimes talk about a, a motherload seam? You know, they might talk about a, the, the gold motherload seam. And by that they're talking about the main archery, they're talking about the main branch, they're talking about the main seam of gold off which all the other branches and seams flow. That's God and love. <laughs> he is the love motherload. And every seam of love that is running through your life, every expression of love you are getting to experience comes from him. Now, the fact it comes from him shows that what we're doing at the moment, reading the Bible, uh, that's a really good idea. Because if you really want to know how to love a person well, how love operates, then surely it's to God we must go. It's not actually your friends or family who will give you the best advice about love. It's certainly not Hollywood or advice columns in magazines that are going to help you figure out love. Whatever helpful insights those sort of things might have, it solely depends on the extent to which they reflect what God says about love. Because he is the motherload. He is the source of all love. Now, if that's not enough, the passage keeps going. And it makes an even closer link between love and God. Look at what it goes on to say in the next verse, verse 8. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because, and here's the second phrase I really want you to notice, God is love. Now, if the idea of love coming from God is big enough, this one is even bigger. We are now being alerted to the fact that there's something about love that takes us to the very essence of who God is. Because, look, notice John doesn't say God is loving. I mean, he is, and that's lovely enough, but God is love. In other words, love is somehow such a part of the very fabric and makeup of God that it's impossible to think of God without also thinking of love at the same time. The two are deeply, profoundly linked. He is love. And remember, all love comes from him. And therefore, what we're being shown here is that love is to God what light is to the sun. It's both a massive part of who he is, it's also what he radiates out. 
This is exciting. I don't know whether you normally think about God like this, but it'd be good to start to. Often we have this idea that God is some sort of cosmic, grumpy old man who's only looking for excuses to get angry with us. But what we're being told here is that can be further from the truth. Love comes from God. He is love. And so you've got as much chance of getting God to stop loving you as you have of getting the sun to stop shining. The sun can't stop shining. It's both what it is and what it floods the earth with, and that's God and love. It's both who he is and what he floods this earth with. Roll it all together. Are you perhaps getting a feel of why love is so important in our lives? It's because the God who made you, the God who put you on this earth, he's love. He's the source of all love. So it's hardly surprising that you and I are hardwired for love. I mean, this profound sense that we have within us that love matters, it's not an accident of nature. It's not simply the result of random chemicals bouncing around in our brains. Love intuitively matters to you because you've been created by a God who is love. And love is virtually his, his signature fingerprint. It's what he leaves on everything he touches, especially on us human beings, whom the Bible says are the pinnacle of God's creation. And so just like your mobile phone is designed to send and receive phone calls, you have been designed by a God who is love to give and receive love. Particularly to receive love from him. Which is what the passage goes on to now talk about as it discusses the greatest way that God has indeed loved us. And two more phrases I'd like us to notice. The first of which comes in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now, there's lots of good phrases in that sentence. For the purpose of today, it's the last one I'd especially like us to notice. The one about life through him. I think that's worth noticing because for starters, it's a little surprising. In what sense did God's one and only son, which is a reference to Jesus, but in what sense did Jesus come into the world that we might live through him? I mean, looking out at you now, most of you look like you've got a pulse. You're breathing. You've already got life. So what does it mean that Jesus came into the world that we might live? What John's getting at here is eternal life. What he's getting at here is is spiritual life. It's our life with God that is being talked about here. Because the bad news is, left to our own devices, we don't really have a life with God. And that's because despite God being love and despite God radiating love, we are guilty of ignoring him and rejecting that love. Despite him giving us every single good thing we enjoy, including love in this world, we don't acknowledge that. We certainly don't give God nearly the gratitude he deserves, and that's serious. I don't know whether you've ever had your love rejected by someone. That hurts. That's no small thing. Especially if it's the love of the God of all the universe that is being rejected. 
That's actually incredibly offensive. Foolhardy. God calls it sin. And because of it, we actually deserve to be punished. But the good news is that despite the way we treat God, instead of punishing us and wiping his hands of us, God, by his very nature, just keeps loving us. And in particular, verse 9 says that he shows his love among us by sending his one and only son. He didn't just send Joe Average off the street. He sent his priceless one and only son to help us with an eternal spiritual life we don't deserve. And how did he do that? Well, that's what our fourth and final phrase goes on to tell us. Look at verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, and here's the phrase, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, are you getting this? Jesus came so that we could have a life we don't deserve, and he achieved it by being an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does that mean? Well, to atone for something means to repair it. It means to fix it. It means to make it new. That's what Jesus did between us and God. He fixed things up between us and God. Despite us rejecting God's love, God, in his love, sent Jesus to sort things out between us and him. And Jesus did that by being a sacrifice for our sins. Our sins. Not his sins. He didn't actually have any. Ours. Jesus sacrificed himself for ours. Which is a reference to when Jesus died on the cross. Because did you know that when Jesus died on the cross, he was actually substituting himself for us. He was actually taking the punishment that we deserve. But he did it in our place. So that you and I could be forgiven. So that things could be repaired between us and God. So that things could be atoned for is the word that's used. Jesus sacrificed himself. Last month, 49 people were shot dead at a club in Orlando in America's worst mass public shooting. Sure you saw it on the news. One of the victims, Brenda McCool, was there with her son. When the shooter started firing, he pointed his gun at Brenda's 21-year-old son. Brenda saw it, shouted, get down, and threw herself in front of her boy. Brenda was shot dead. Her son survived. His life was saved. Her life was sacrificed. That's the sort of thing Jesus did for us. In fact, as selfless as Brenda's actions were, as much as an act of love as her actions were, Jesus's was even more so. Brenda lost her life in a tragic accident because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus, however, deliberately did this. Went out of his way to do this. Despite viewing his death with horror, Jesus deliberately went to it, premeditatingly gave up his life in our place. And he didn't just do it for people who deserved it or loved him back. No, no, remember what that verse said? This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. 
In other words, Jesus deliberately came into a dark, hostile world, knowing full well that he was going to give up his life to a world that wasn't going to love him back. But he came anyway. So as to give up his life for us. You do realise how much you matter to God, don't you? The God who is love has loved you enormously. And I'd like to finish this morning by very gently asking you, what do you think you're going to do about that? Because that's the thing about love, isn't it? You either receive it or you reject it. And so someone may offer their love to you, but you still have to decide whether you're going to accept it. What are you going to do about God's love? I hope you've already accepted it. I hope you're planning to accept it. Because please know that if you reject God's display of love to you through Jesus, please understand that you'll not only be turning your back on a rescue from God's punishment, you'll also be turning your back on the great purpose of your life. As verse 9 has mentioned to us, Jesus came so that we could have life with the God who is love. In other words, it's telling us that this is why you were made. Friends, this is why God put you on this earth. He put you here so that you could experience love. That's why it intuitively matters so much to you. But in particular, God put you here so that you could know his love. Do you know it? If you're here and you don't know God's love yet, I want to give you two possible next steps. Okay? Firstly, if you've honestly never really much thought about this before, you know, all this stuff about love and God and Jesus, if, you, if you've actually not really engaged with it much, you owe it to yourself to give it some more thought. Uh, these are not small things we're talking about here. I think they're worth investigating. And so, beginning next Sunday... I'm going to be here in this building running a short investigating course from 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's the sort of course where there's going to be plenty of opportunity for questions and to chat about things, but you don't have to do that. You can just come along and listen in. You don't have to talk at all. It'll go for maybe about an hour every Sunday afternoon, the next four afternoons. If you're not sure about coming on your own, if you're here with a friend, I'm very confident they'd be willing to come with you. But if you've never done it before, come along. Investigate further who Jesus is and how God has shown his love to you through him. It's why you were made. Investigating it won't be a waste of time. Next Sunday, 2pm, I'll be here. However, there may be some of you here this morning who are actually way past that stage. And that's why in a couple of minutes I'm going to close by praying to God. Because maybe, maybe you've been sitting out there this morning and you have not actually heard anything new whatsoever. I don't know, maybe you've been hanging around churches a long time. But 
maybe you already know that God is love. Maybe you already know that God shows his love by sending Jesus to us. Maybe you've already known that we deserve to be punished, but that Jesus sacrificed himself in our place. Maybe you've heard it all before. But you also know that this morning, something's going on in your life. And you wanted to do something definitive about it today. Maybe you know that today's the day you want to make this personal. This is the day you want to move it from your head to your heart. You don't, want to, you don't just want to know it, you want to live it. Well, if that is you, I'm going to finish by praying a prayer, talking to God that reflects that sort of decision. It's a very simple prayer. It's basically declaring to God that you're going to stop turning your back on his love. If that's a reflection of where you're at, you might like to pray along just in the quietness of your own mind as I pray it. It's a great thing to say to God, to acknowledge that he loves you, to accept it. How about I pray? Dear God, I admit that I have not taken your love seriously at all. That's really shameful and I'm sorry. Thank you for still loving me and sending Jesus to help. Thank you that because of his death, I won't be punished for treating you so badly. Thank you for not only forgiving me, but also giving me an eternal life. I don't deserve that, but I gratefully accept it. Thank you. And Father, having now declared this to you, help me to live for you. Help me to live for Jesus as well. Amen. Friends, if that's the first time you've ever prayed that, that's a really important decision to have made. I think... It's a life, well, it is, it's a life-changing decision. I think that's the sort of thing that would be good to share with someone else. If you're not sure who to share that with, uh, catch up with me after this meeting ends in a couple of moments. But um, I think that's a wonderful decision to have made and it's certainly one worth sharing.